what does storytelling mean to you? It's a way of uh, reliving memories and passing down generations. It's a really important aspect of our everyday lives and our future. I really believe that we're all here to share with each other. I think storytelling is our biggest way to share our lives with one another. What is a story that has had the most impact on you? Hearing the experiences of, I'll say my parents. Alexis, which would be my sister's story, has meant the most to me to speak out and speak up about something. When people are down on their lowest, because that's something that I think we all relate to in our own story. Welcome to the Mayor States podcast, where we explore the Pacific Northwest through the stories and experiences of the people and its communities. I am one of your hosts, Kiki Dominguez. My pronouns are they, them. I am Angie, and I'm one of your co-hosts, and I'm she, her. And I'm Hazel Gibson. I am not a co-host, but I am appearing on this episode for funsies, and I kind of act as the sound engineer. Thanks for having me once again. I really feel like Hazel, the title is, I am Hazel sometimes kind of a host and the sound engineer, but because <laughs> you're, you're usually here and you're usually going to be asked to speak up and ask a question or say something. And we do hear your voice sometimes. So as a heads up to everybody who might be saying, where is Anne, who is usually my co-host? Anne is no longer with the Mirror Stage Company, but we wish them the best of luck in all they do. You might hear from them at future events just because they are also a theater person in the Seattle area. And they are also someone who makes up the Pacific Northwest. So we will probably have them come back and join us. But they've moved on to some cool work that they have to dedicate more of their time to. So though we will miss Anne, we wish them the best. And please welcome Angie. Angie is a Mere Stage board member. You might have heard her before, and if you have not, I invite you to go back and listen to, I believe it was episode two, where we interviewed our Mere Stage board. So Angie is an actress, a dancer, and a teaching artist. She can now add co-hosts to that list of all the things that she does, and she is going to be stepping in for Anne. If you're enjoying our podcast, please feel free to make a tax-deductible donation to Mearstage via our website, mearstage.org, or you can text Play It Smart to 206-888-6477, and you can make a donation right from your phone. If you don't have the ability to make a donation, it is always loved and appreciated if you subscribe to our podcast or review us on any platform you're listening from. The topic of our show today is our first of our South Seattle stories, an interview project that's going to explore the origin stories of unique individuals who use their skills to contribute to the community of South Seattle. And we are interviewing Refugee Women's Alliance, REWA for short. REWA is a nonprofit, multi-ethnic organization that promotes inclusion, independence, personal leadership, and strong communities by providing refugee and immigrant women and their families with culturally and linguistically appropriate services. REWA advocates for social justice, public policy changes, and equal access to services while respecting cultural values and the right to self-determination. So I'm going to give a little bit of history about my relationship with REWA. So I also work with the Seattle Repertory Theater, and through them, there is a program called Public Works, and it's the Seattle Public Works Program, and that is really a community outreach program. And one of the things that I first did with them was work with REWA in their early learning center And the Early Learning Center is the preschool program. And I went in maybe two years ago. I went in with an assistant, and once a week we would lead fun games and do some fun different things with the kids. Well, one of the purposes of the work that Public Works does with the different communities is to hopefully bring on the 
community members that we are reaching out to and bringing them on for a, a large scale production each summer. So when we went into the preschools, we had to reevaluate, would this be something that we would be able to do to like bring in these kiddos or bring in their family members? And they realized that that partnership didn't exactly work, but we still really liked working with Rewa. So what they did was they transitioned it over to the Youth Job Readiness Training Program. And the Youth Job Readiness Training Program, we're going to be interviewing the people who really lead and spearhead that program. So the Youth Job Readiness Training Program, it's a cohort of immigrant and refugee youth that teaches skills on how to search for a job, teaches resume building skills. They also offer service learning opportunities. They give college tours and offer internship placements with local businesses. I work in the Zoom room with Seth. You'll meet him later on. Alexis has also been there a few times and I believe she's going to be a bigger part of it as we continue moving on and collaborating together. My job is to infuse theater skills into the curriculum they have. So you'll be meeting the people who spearhead the youth job readiness training. Please enjoy our interview with Alexis, Kimberly, and Seth. Thank you for being here. So first we have Alexis, who is the youth program coordinator. Welcome in, Alexis. Thank you. Nice to be part of here. Next, we have Kimberly, who is the Senior Youth Coordinator. Good evening, and thank you for having me today. Yeah, thank you for being here, Kimberly. And then we have Seth, who is our Youth Job Readiness Training Instructor. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, so thank you all, and welcome in. Our first question we have for you is, what is your origin story? So I'll say there's different types of origin stories that I usually lead off from. I won't go on a lower, I won't ramble on which way. But I'll say the first one I come from, it, our first origin story is as I come from like middle, working class African-American or Black American family um, that has definitely uh, had a lot of obstacles in the way that still was over to come, the unwelcoming tribulations that come along with it, um, as well as to still be hopeful and still has yet to overcome them, but is still um, very determined at the same times. I also take account of my origin story of the roots, um, particularly my um, ethnicity and racial roots. Um, I take pride of being um, Afro-Latinx um, with my father's origins from Panama as well as my black American side from my mom from the deep south of Louisiana. So taking, I'm very um, proud of being um, black, of my identity, as well as um, I acknowledge the diaspora and coming also from an immigrant family for my father. So having those multiple um, identities, I think shapes who I am at the end of the day. Well, and um, my backstory starts in a small town in Illinois, or Illinois, as I said it for so many years, um, <laughs> um, in the Midwest, in the city, as well as in the farm. Um, I spent a lot, a lot of time with my grandmother and just playing in the street because you could do that back then and staying out until the street lights came on and getting in trouble if you didn't get from your friend's house on time. And then at the age of 14, my parents decided that they didn't want the small town life anymore. And so they whisked us away to Seattle, Washington, where we'd never um, seen another culture outside of one Caucasian family that went to the school, elementary school <laughs> that, I, that I attended and saw more of that as I went to high school, but I'd never encountered any other um, ethnicity until I moved to Seattle. And so that was a big change. And at the time we moved to Covington area in Kent, Washington, in which it was pretty much all farm country then. And so I was in shock as a teenager. And then about 18, I moved to the city on my own. Um, and there's lots of stories there. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, and I've been in Seattle ever since. And I do have some roots in Texas. My grandparents hail from Texas. 
So my origin story is, uh, I feel like it's tough to tell a little bit. I was, I was born in Seattle. I was raised in West Seattle. So I really grew up around the city a lot. I went to school in Federal Way, which is just outside of Seattle. I commuted every single day. It was just what my family was set up to do. So it was an interesting life, but it was uh, definitely not nothing that I really describe as a challenge. My father was adopted into his family and my grandma was adopted. So that's kind of where I get at with the, uh, it's tough to tell because I don't get to look back and talk to a lot of my family. There's not as much. So with my life growing up, I really clung to sports a lot to get my identity from and things like that. I played tons of sports and that's what I was most passionate about in my community and things like that. And I think that's where I, I was able to get a lot of my origin from and uh, learn about myself the most. Um, when I went to Thomas Jefferson High School and then I graduated from there and I went to Washington State University, so I didn't leave home too far. And then I moved back into the community and started working with Rewa, trying to do my best to try and give back to the community that I feel like gave a lot to me. Yeah, that's kind of what my origin is. Hi, I haven't spoken yet. I'm Angie. Those are great stories. I was smiling from ear to ear. So I would like to know what are some of the other things that inspire you? So what inspires me? Um, I think when I take inspire, I usually say motivates. Um, it keeps me pushing. And ironically, is I think in seeing the outlooks and the outcomes of what has happened um, to particular communities, um, the things that have yet to be achieved um, really inspires me because we have not received what we deserve yet, um, particularly speaking out to the minority community in the US, um, people of color, people who um, have discriminated against any type of identity and that's still working towards. That's what we still have to fight for. And I think I have an aspiration. So we're, it's a lot of you think it's a distant future, but I think it's still achievable at the end of the day. And that's what keeps me pushing to see that equal opportunity given to all, um, actually live by it instead of just having written down on a sheet of paper. I know what inspires me is really walking in what I believe to be my gifting and my purpose. Um, because if I'm inspired there, then that means that I can encourage and edify and comfort others, which is what I know that I am called to do. And so with that, I absolutely love to serve others, whether it's here at Rewa, serving on my team and the students, um, that we work so hard for all of the time or whether it's in my personal time where I'm, you know, writing or, you know, doing other podcasts or being on social media, you know, doing lives or even TikToks here lately, <laughs> sharing my story and, and encouraging others, um, building them up. Um, and that stems from my own story. And so now I want to take that and turn it into something that I can offer and share. Um, I can pour from my own cup into the lives of others who may have experienced some um, hurt, some pain, some dysfunction, or maybe they're just kind of wandering and they don't know, um, you know, where they're going just yet. You know, it's my pleasure to be there to just hold space for them or be there to help guide them if that's what they need that's what they want, um, which is why um, I ended up in a field of service like this and working with Rewa and serving families and serving students because I love to see people kind of, or, or stories that are coming of age. And I love to see people realize their potential, that gleam that somebody gets in their eye when they realize, oh, I'm good at that. or That's my skill or that's my purpose. That, that's what I live for. That's amazing, Kim. I love that word edify. It's such a great word. What inspires me is, I mean, we all work together, so it's it's very similar of wanting to give back and wanting to serve others. Um, this idea of servant leadership and actively being in people's lives and trying to better other people's lives. Growing up, I, I'm a middle-class white male and quite I don't face a lot of oppression in my own life. And learning about the, learning that, Growing up and learning that other people don't have the same opportunities that I've just been given in my life and, and the systematic oppression that others face was something that I knew that I wanted to be able to try and devote part of my life, not as 
a white savior and, and, and that sort of way, but being an ally to these groups and seeing what I can do to try to create these opportunities for others. Some of the most bright people um, that I've met, some amazing people, whether they were uh, classmates or whether they're students of mine, are people that I know that if they are given the opportunity, they're going to be amazing. And, be, and like Kim said, being able to see it in their eyes and be able to hear them talk about what they aspire to be it is really amazing. It's really, it's really awesome. Thank you. Uh, I was going to ask, my next question is for you to tell us about Rewa and who they serve, but we're going to do a little bit of an introduction of that in the beginning. I'm very curious, like hearing from everyone though, how did you get involved with Rewa? Like what, what is everybody's story with how they found out about the organization or how they got their current position? That is a great question, Kiki. Thank you for asking. I will say that after, actually, I think it was kind of a miracle that I came across on Rewa because um, after being a recent grad, I, I just received my um, studies and bachelor's in political science and Latin American studies. I was like, I'm determined to go in the law field. That's what I'm doing. I'm going to be reform human rights, humanitarian law, and that's what I'm going to stick to. But I was actually in there and I realized <laughs> it wasn't a fit for me. Like I'm very non-office person, I'm very personable. I like engaging with others. I like to hear their stories and what I can actually serve to them and seeing that impact. And from there I left kind of, I guess, trying a lost eye because I didn't know where to turn to because I would just move back from California to here. And I came across Rewa and I was like, it was exactly, I felt the exact fit for me because I was very passionate about immigration law, as well as um, helping those who are internally displaced and refugees, particularly from Latin America. And that's where I did my studies in. And then I actually came across to realize like right here in my local community and I didn't even realize it was here. So I reached out and I was blessed with a job to working with kids who also have great experience with and just helping a lot of our demographic that we serve, black or brown kids, give them necessary resources at the end of the day so they can basically beat the basically systemic oppressions put against those from those communities in Seattle. And I just stuck with Rewa. Um, as we grow, I came into this role. I was the flex person, so I did everything <laughs> where the needs, things need to get done. I was there to support. And that's how I enter my role now as youth program coordinator. And I basically support all the youth programs and making sure everything goes well, it flows, the organization, connecting with families, seeing what they need, and just making sure that I can hit the marks where things that may fall through and just making sure everything goes afloat. Thanks, Alexis. Um, and she's absolutely right. Like if I could give her a raise right now, I would um, because she is stellar. <laughs> so I'm so grateful to be able to work with a group of great people and people who are so passionate. I worked in corporate America for several years and I moved into from account management into human resources. And that is what I wanted to do. I was so passionate about it. I created one of the very first internships in the company that I worked for um, as an African-American woman. That company had never experienced that uh, internal internships. And I brought students in from the city of Seattle um, to do work tours there. And so many different wonderful things that I, that I got to do in corporate America. However, the politics um, were too great and the racism was too great. The microaggressions were too great for my soul to bear any longer. And so it worked out that I was able to take some time off and be able to think about what I really wanted. And so I started researching. I knew that I wanted to work for a nonprofit that was servicing students in some way. And like Alexis, um, it just kind of fell in my lap and um, reached out um, and was able to, of course, um, get an interview. And I was able to do something that I absolutely love, which is educate and coach and teach. Um, and that is with students. So that met the mark for me and I was doing project-based learning and that program closed down right at the beginning of COVID-19. And I thought, oh my gosh, this cannot be happening. <laughs> um, however, that worked in my favor uh, and I actually got a promotion during the pandemic. I was able to move into the youth manager 
program. And so I've been doing this now for about, I want to say six months, uh, maybe almost six months now, but it's been absolutely amazing for me to use my KSAs to help this program um, run strong um, and to be able to serve our students and our communities and, and the staff as well. Yeah, absolutely. I agree that um, working with so many amazing people and so many passionate people is, is, is just so great, so fun. And, and again, I just want to speak to like what Ken said, Alexis keeps my head on like it would I would be running around like crazy if it wasn't for Alexis and Kim too. Kim has really done an amazing job since she stepped into this role. Um, my background is very heavily leadership based. I did some leadership stuff in high school, but when I went to college, that's really where I grew the most as an individual. I started becoming a part of different organizations that did different things in the community, community service things, things I worked with um, BSU and, and things like that. Um, I ended up mentoring a lot of students. I was a part of these leadership programs. I ran my own leadership program for about a year. And those programs were very heavily focused on social justice and social change, um, being able to teach and facilitate programs and workshops like that to college students and, and young adults in those communities. And I, that was what I enjoyed the most. That's what I loved the most. That's what I was most passionate about. And I really decided that I wanted to be devoting more of my life to it. And I wanted to spend more time doing that. And uh, I decided to step away from college for a little bit. And actually one of my friends, one of my close friends from high school had been at Rewa and she was just leaving. And she said, hey, I think you'd be great for this position. And um, I, I love the ability to develop curriculum and continue to work with students and, and really serve these students and these, this community. And so I feel Kim where it says just fell into my lap, but that, that's what it did. But it aligns so much with my passions and my goals. Those stories really lined up about telling us what you do and who you serve a lot. But I would also like to know, so you gave us a little bit of what your roles are, but what would that look like on a normal day? And what would it look like with COVID now? How does that, how does that work? How does your role work? Well, let me tell you, Angie, it's not easy, that's for sure. <laughs> it wasn't easy before, no, it's like 10 times worse, but we still are able to make it day by day, especially it's difficult working with kids. Um, I definitely have to take time to praise the teachers who are able to, to get on the computer and still teach a massive class of students uh, along with our own instructors and how it's hard to just grasp that attention and making sure they actually understand and comprehend the lesson at the end of the day. It's no longer personable, but we still have resources and tools that we try to use. We actively have to communicate um, through phone and email. There's no reason why you can't answer your email because you're reliant on it nowadays, as well as just reaching out to the families and knowing them as much as we can because they have their own lives or, or try to try to get means by, especially during COVID. So we have to be on top of it. We have to make sure, do you need this? Do you need that? Um, do you need a, a food stamps card? Do you need transportation? And we did that before, but it there has to be more follow-up. So there's a quickness that has to be implemented as well as effective communication as a team. I think we have come together as well as the REWA staff um, to be more work as one, because if there's no um, common understanding, things won't work out and the clients and our students won't receive those necessities they need at the end of the day. So it's, we were able to do it remotely. Um, it's not easy, but just working as a team at the end of the day to fill the needs of our students and families. Thank you, Alexis. I have to agree, it has been quite different to serve my team and um, the students remotely. I have days where it just feels super successful. And then I have days like yesterday when my eyeballs are burning and I don't want to look at another screen, no matter what it is. Um, <laughs> so that transition has been difficult, but Reba as a whole and the youth staff has definitely, you know, rose to the occasion by really um, creating order and having a passion, letting that passion guide them to show up, to keep showing up no matter what, you know, just like now we're having, you know, I'm in the office and there's technical difficulties, really taking on the mindset of taking a deep breath, having self-care and continuing to press through for our team, for ourselves um, and the people that we serve. And I think it's also a great 
opportunity for us um, to continue in this vein um, as we recognize that, you know, we will go back to school one day. And so right now we're looking at some hybrid options um, for students who would like to keep going in this direction. So it's been different and it's become our new normal and, and we're adjusting. Yeah, I a thousand percent agree that um, it has not been easy in any single way. When I was hired on, I actually, I spent two days in the classroom with students before everything stopped and everything was shut down. So I was selfishly, I was upset because this thing that I enjoyed most about my job and the thing that I felt I was best at was just like taken from me and, and I, I had no idea what was happening. But it's been something that I've just been so impressed with the culture at Rewa and uh, the way that we've all just bonded together and tried to, like Kim said, we're going to be back one day. So how can we make it through this? And uh, a typical day for, for me now consists of a lot of meetings, as Kim and uh, Alexis said, a lot of meetings, a lot of emails, staring at screens. Um, but so are our students and, and being very cognitive and, and realizing that they're going through similar things. So outside of our typical daily things, I'm also trying to advance our curriculum and push it forward. How can we be more social minded with our job readiness training and things like that? Also, with these new problems in the world that everyone, there's, there's new skills that these students need to know, these virtual skills, these, these technological skills. Um, so how can we make sure that they're still going to be successful for whatever the world looks like outside of this, outside of today? And yeah, have a typical day, meetings and classes and things like that. Thank you, everyone. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of teamwork and collaboration that has to go on as you navigate through, as we're talking about all the things that have been transitioned to online and the unexpectedness of it and how everyone just managed to make it work because you're, this is something that you're all passionate about and inspired by helping people, so keeping that momentum going. So outside of any like technical difficulty kind of things, what are some challenges you experience in your work and how do you manage to address them either individually or as a team? I think um, I come across multiple different um, obstacles, but I will say two that stuck out and it's always a problem for anyone who serves a community is having enough resources and actually getting it to the people they serve. We don't have unlimited supply, even though we may have enough wealth in our country doesn't mean it's actually given out to those who are in need of it. So just getting those resources, trying to hunt them down to research it and um, meeting all the criteria just so we have enough to serve the people that we want. Um, it is hard, but we are able, having a team to have um, multiple outlooks of it and perspectives and connections to just remind people of our purpose at the end days so that we're here to serve a community that's often overlooked um, and neglected at the end of the day. And um, vouching for that allows us to collaborate together once again as a team and retrieve those grants and such, as well as it's hard to serve families who are yet to transition in it and actually putting yourself in those shoes and informing them of their experiences and the resources that we can offer them as they try to enter their new roles here in the U.S. and just keep uplifting them at the end of the day, even though others have stated otherwise um, to their situation. I think from my perspective, for me, it's challenging for me to feel like, you know, gosh, is my team getting everything that they need? Our team uh, went through some transition last year. And so it's really imperative and important to me that they have what they need at their fingertips and that they are taking care of themselves. Like self-care is an absolute must as we've transitioned into virtual learning. And just, you know, thinking about, you know, is my team taken care of? Do they have what they need? Do they have the professional development they need? You know, am I keeping them abreast of sometimes changes that feel like they're changing daily? <laughs> um, so that has really been a challenge for me in addition to um, managing, you know, contracts where, you know, COVID-19 has caused delays and you know, just having to wait it out until it gets done and then training and, and retraining in some areas, which is necessary. It's a must. It's all a part of change. So I think for me and my role is um, the challenge has come from 
navigating that change, ultimately adapting, but navigating those changes and just assuring that, you know, once I hit my own couch at night that, (laughs) you know, have I served my team well? um, And do they have what they need to do to do their jobs and and to serve the students that they serve? Yeah, absolutely. I I think serving is just so important, especially in this time. I know that challenges that I have every while from my own personal life um, have just been the fact that COVID seems to just disrupted everything. I was a new team member and with this new group of people, how can I get my teammates to make sure that they trust me um, working with these organizations and, and working with our clients and our students? But more importantly, the students, I think, face the biggest challenges, at least from my own perspective. That's where I like to focus um, most of our attention on our students and clients. And the students not being able to be in school and not being able to collaborate with their students in person and not being able to develop that relationship in person with their instructor or their teacher. Uh, how can we keep them more engaged and how can we continue to make sure that they're getting what they need? Like Alexis said, the resources that haven't been given to them, how can we make sure that we are giving that, providing it for them? It's, it's a difficult challenge, but it's one that I think we are overcoming and I think that we, we're working together to solve. That's really great. I loved hearing all of those comments. And since you all are working with such a varied population from so many different places, I'm sure you have stories that that you've gotten from them. And so what are some of the lessons you've learned from their stories? I will say it's almost a lesson as well as a reminder um, that I received. And it's honestly a reminder that I received from our little ones, not little ones, our younger students. Um, but just being reminder of being proud of my origins and being proud of my culture and my difference at the end of the day because uh, I realized you know we're an individualistic society we all like to act as one act as the typical American way or the typical beauty and standards of it as well as the norms of the culture and I didn't get the I guess the chance of preserving that because my father he try to adapt to the American way. And I thought I shouldn't embrace that culture. I should just stick to this. It was hard for me to grapple being on duality and of being bicultural. And just seeing those students saying, yes, I'm bicultural. I'm proud to be Mexican-American as well as, and I'm proud to be a small American. I'm proud to be Ethiopian-American. And so what? And that, like, do you have something else to say? Because they love it. I was like, you know what? Thank you. You just remind me, yes, I'm proud of who I am. And no one's going to take that away from me at the end of the day. So I just wanted to, I'm blessed to have those kids in my life to, to remind me constantly each day. I totally agree with Alexis. Um, I just get a smile on my face thinking about the students that I have gotten an opportunity to work with. And one particular student stands out to me. And he also reminded me that you can go through many different things. And he moved here uh, from Kenya and went to a local school here in South Seattle. And just his presence and deciding to show up every day in spite of those challenges and participate, you know, participate. There were so many different reasons why, you know, he wouldn't participate or could he could have had a chip on his shoulder, but he opted to not only participate, but push past those barriers and really show up and show up in a strong way and an authentic way is what, you know, I really took away from my time with him. Um, he ended up being in one of our newsletters um, and just his presence was amazing. And it reminded me that that's one of the things that changes our sphere of influence um, on the daily and can ultimately change those, you know, that we work with and and in our world is that what we need is for each other to persevere if we can, uh, be present and and be authentic. And and that's what I've learned from uh, that student in particular and other students. That's amazing. And and you took the word right out of my mouth, Kim. Perseverance was what I was gonna say. Um, It's probably the biggest lesson that I've learned from this community. A community that already has their own personal challenges and life that they live. And then COVID coming in and being this extra weight that they have to carry or have this extra barrier they have to overcome. And just the way that our students continue to show up to class and to collaborate and to learn and to be engaged. 
is just an amazing lesson of perseverance and that a, a reminder, as Alexis said, that they're, they're so amazing and so awesome. And there's so many great things that they can and will achieve and they just continue to persevere. And, there, and there's nothing of these barriers such as COVID or things like that, that's really going to do anything but slow them down. It's not going to uh, stop their goals or their ambitions. Thank you, everyone. So I have another question about how can people get involved? What do you all need? Is it, do you need resources and supplies? Are there volunteer opportunities, both in person or online? What can our audience do to get involved? Yes, that's a wonderful question. They, uh, people can um, get involved multiple ways, but those are the two ways, um, donations, as well as being involved in events supporting and showing out for the community at the end of the day, as well as we have voluntary uh, opportunities on our website. But from not only what you can be involved in Rewaz, I want to speak upon, but how you can be involved as a community is to actively educate yourself on what's happening for those who come from different backgrounds, who are a part of the immigrant community, who are undocumented, who are refugees and asylum seekers. They are constantly have, are inflicted by different struggles each day especially politically wise. So taking up, um, educating yourself, standing out and take action, um, be aware of not just, I wanna say protests, but rallies are people who are coming together and trying to come up with reforms policy in those regards. I, I actually encourage people in those ways to not just volunteer and be complacent, but as well as come together as one to vouch and basically support these communities. Absolutely, I would just parrot Alexis on that you know, individual donors, that's of a great help. People donate all types of supplies to Rewa to assist our families. You know, we have received, you know, anything from soap to laptops. <laughs> and so it's all needed and all necessary. Again, you could go to the website and find volunteer opportunities. One thing that really sticks out for me right now is volunteers in, in our classrooms or guest speakers in our classrooms for our students. For example, our young students, third through the fifth grade, they're in a STEM program, a STEM-based program right now. And so, um, you know, maybe a, a person in technology would like to volunteer to speak to those kids so that they could see, hey, you know, I, I'm represented in this, in this career, you know, and they could volunteer that way. And the same with our high school students. Um, we love to have guest speakers come in so that students can ultimately see that I'm here right now, um, but I'm inspired to go the rest of the way by hearing or seeing somebody else that looks like me. Absolutely. I don't think there's a wrong way to get involved. There's tons of ways to be involved with Rewa. And uh, I'm going to speak more so to our YGRT program, which is our high school age students. And Kim really hit the nail on the head for me too with volunteering and showing up and, and being in the classroom and giving our students role models to see themselves represented in careers and in these different walks of life that they can achieve and that they can be there too if they continue to work hard and continue to show up and continue to grow as their own selves. That's the biggest for me, especially as a teacher. Just continue to have guest speakers come in and have these students be more connected with their communities and with other people in the area that can help them network and get to the next spot, their next goal in life. But having those role models is, and, and having those people that can create that relationship with the student in the classroom is one of the most important things for me as an instructor. That's wonderful. There's so many things that you've all said today. All of your stories really make me want to take away the perseverance piece. <laughs> they keep on keeping on, put one foot in front of the next, no matter how down you get or how hard it may be. Um, that's something that young people can always give to us. And because of that, I would like you to tell us some of the things you want other listeners to take away from this podcast today. I would say what you should take away is you'll be surprised how much you can learn and so much wisdom a, a youth can hold and the power of their voice at the end of the day. Now, we always say they're our next generation. They're the next leaders that we have, but they already have so much intelligence and insights now. And you'd be surprised how much they can contribute and actually help um, ignite that reform that we want so bad in our communities. So just take a time and listen to your kids and see uh, what they can do to change your mind and inspire in your own self. I would absolutely agree. 
I raised five kids and I had to listen to each and every one of them differently. And it makes a difference. <laughs> so um, I would definitely uh, say to your audience to continue to be present um, in your life and the lives of any students or kids you may be around and to show up authentically and prepare, you know, take the opportunities that are given to you, prepare for what you want, what you want to see, prepare for that. And that's what our students are doing. They're getting in the classroom, you know, Tuesday and Thursday and working with instructors and, and guest speakers to prepare for the opportunities that they're dreaming about so that when those dreams are materialized or they show up, they're ready for that. So definitely to prepare because you may be in one chapter in your life right now, but pretty soon you're going to turn the page. That's amazing. Both of those are, are, are really great. I, I think my thing is what I want listeners to take away is just serve, service. Um, find the community, find what you're passionate about, um, what organization, what movement you're passionate about and serve. See what you can do to serve that group of people and, and that community, um, whether that's with your time, whether that's with resources or money that you have. Um, however it is, just show up and serve. And I think as Alexis said, the more you serve and the more you show up and serve, you're going to be amazed at how much you take away in your own, in your own way and how much you learn from others and how much better it's going to also, is also going to enrich your life as you continue to serve these people or communities. Awesome. Thank you so much, everybody. This has been such an insightful interview and I speak on behalf of Mirror Stage when I say we really appreciate you all taking time out of your schedules and making it work either from your car or from the offices or wherever you can. So thank you so much. Of course, Kiki. Thank you so much for inviting us as well. This is definitely our first platform where we speak out and address those about the community we serve. So we're, thank you for giving this opportunity and um, letting us um, take advantage of your listeners. And hopefully we can spark some interest, some passion within them at the end of this. Yes, I absolutely agree. Kiki, thank you. It has been my pleasure to just meet you and see you again and see you in this way. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to share a little bit of our stories and the stories of our students that we get to work with every day. It's been a pleasure to meet these ladies that are working with you. So thank you as well for having us here. And Rewa appreciates the opportunity and, and I do too. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you so much. It's been a really great opportunity to talk about Rewa and to talk about our students and uh, some of the work that we do. It, it's a really great platform. And uh, I appreciate you all giving it to us. And also an extra thank you to Kim and Alexis for making time to uh, be here too and share these stories so that we can just talk talk about Rewind, talk about these things that we do. It was great to meet you all. Maybe sometime I'll get to meet you face to face when COVID's over. <laughs> That was so great. That was good. The stories were so good. I was just smiling. I was like, oh, I, know. <laughs> you know? I could have listened to them talk all night. You know? Yes, agreed. I was like, we could jump in right now with our reflections as because that's kind of what this is going to turn into. But I want to say, yeah, they how they interpreted all these different questions was really interesting because I remember getting that question and seeing that of like, what story? What was that? Like, what story in, has had the most impact on you? And I was thinking for myself, like, well, what story would that be for me? And thinking about like a book and then just hearing them answer, oh, the stories that I hear on a daily basis, the stories I get from peers and people I work with and the story of my sister. I was just like, oh, this is, yeah. this is so good. I love how storytelling is different to everybody. Yeah. And, and, and it was very immediate because they're getting it from, uh, from people every day, not from a book or not from a newspaper article or anything like that, but from real life every day that um, the clientele and the students that they work with. And those, I think, are sometimes the most impactful stories that you're getting from straight from a person's challenges or even, you know, celebrations from their celebrations of themselves and their culture and everything else. So, yeah. And they are such a strong team. Like, I just really appreciated how giving everybody was to each other for space and time, as well as really hyping each other up and talking about how they really all work together to 
create these programs to problem solve any issues that come up and to continue to strive and do better for themselves, for the community that they're serving. Yeah, I was impressed with their, um, it seemed like, like they were a strong group of, of people that worked together and they and their strengths kind of overlapped and connected and you know, it's just, they seem like, it seemed like it'd be a great place to work. You know, maybe you want to work with them. They just seem so great and wonderful and giving and open. I can't think of a better place to work than having coworkers like that. Yeah, and I, I really liked what they were saying about how stories help gain understanding and empathy towards one another and learning about each other. And I think that really just ties back into what I'm always talking about with the mere stage mission and how we're using storytelling in that way. And just to hear them express that that is how they see storytelling and why that is so important to them. It just made me happy. I'm just like, we're all over the place trying to use stories in different ways to learn about ourselves and about each other. Sometimes I, I, start to not feel that what's going on or what I'm doing or um, is, is all that important. But then you listen to other people's stories and the whole idea of perseverance and the way it helps you continue um, and gives you support and strength. It really um, is an important aspect of life that we need to um, keep because we, we have all of this information coming to us from so many different areas, so much media we're taking in, that it's really nice to know that just sitting down and listening to a person talk about themselves, talk about what they do, talk about what inspires them is, is wonderful. It's, it's, it's so much more immediate and it makes your heart warm in a way that just seeing a TV or media or being on Facebook or, you know, doesn't do. And having that immediacy of listening to someone the way we used to do around the fire when there was no other media, <laughs> but just us telling our stories, um, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And it, it, it does really tie into the Mirror Stage mission. I wanted to chime in here, if I may, Kiki and Angie. Like you said about stories around the fire that that used to be so important and like now we're just overwhelmed and overwashed by all of this content all the time and there's just such a huge removal from it it's so unpersonalized and so I guess I think back to the storytelling the personalization why that makes us feel good and maybe like not maybe but like podcasts as a platform maybe that's why people are latching onto these so because it is a platform where we just get to tell stories and just get to listen and I don't know just you saying that made me like reconnect with why we're doing this and it just made me appreciate it so much so it's going back almost you know back to radio days you know you're going back to the time when you would sit with your family there was no tv so you would sit around the radio plays and people would do radio plays and the news would be on and 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 that's what the podcast is is simulating it's the same thing it's just a modern day version of you know the radio <laughs> it's, it's really uh, I, I mean that just sort of hit me now that oh yeah this is like radio plays radio stories we're just doing it that way, doing it the 21st century way. <laughs> you know? So yeah, it's great. Now for our call to action. So I wanted to have our call to action be about rewap because one thing I really appreciated that was said towards the end there was you can serve by using your time, any money or any resources that you have. So it doesn't have to just be make a donation. It can be you can serve using your time. If you have the spare time to volunteer to do anything with them, you can find out more information at rewa.org. And that is spelled R-E-W-A dot O-R-G. And that, as always, will be in our show notes. But one of the things I saw when I was looking up kind of what you can do to be a volunteer one of the things they need right now is people to volunteer for their citizenship class. 
So they are looking for teachers. And like they were saying, if you have the time, please come in and be a speaker. And I don't think it's actually coming in because everything is on Zoom right now. So just lending an hour to be a speaker and go in and talk to them would also probably be greatly appreciated. And you'll find all that information in our show notes. And do you know what they, what kind of speakers they're looking for and what are the subjects that they would like to have speakers on? It seems open. It seems like they just want people in the community to come out and tell, like we've been talking about this, about like different stories, just come out and tell their stories so we can see all the different kinds of people in the community, the different work that they do, the different things that they're passionate about to just start to give these these people and these kids, because a lot of what who we were talking to all works with the youth. So I think these ones are specifically to get the youth more involved and more curious about what different things they can learn and do. And you mentioned helping with the classes online. I'm assuming, do they need certified teachers? Yes, I am looking right now. So it does not say they, they do not have to be a certified teacher in any capacity, but experience teaching or tutoring especially English as a second language, would be beneficial. But they are interested in, in anyone who's interested in helping out with them. And I'm sure if you went on online and you saw something that you wanted to help out with, they would definitely try to get you involved in some fashion. We would like to acknowledge that we are on the traditional land of the first people of Seattle, the Duwamish and Coastal Salish people, past and present, and honor with gratitude the land itself and the Duwamish and Coastal Salish tribes.